We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Bardwell. To hear more, please use our media player at PCAChurch.com and join us every Sunday at 1030 at 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City. Now join us for the following message. And we're going to look at the duration of that particular, of that particular chapter, Matthew chapter 2. The title of the message is, Two Rulers, One Throne. The topic I'm going to be speaking about today is a topic that is very familiar to all of us. It's a topic that has been a problem for humanity since the creation of humanity, since God created both Adam and Eve, and we saw them in the garden, and we saw the struggles they had. It has always come back, I'm going to start with the phrase, and I'm going to end with that phrase today, and that is, there is a God, and you and I are not him. There is a God, and you and I are not him. And that has been a battle, has been a struggle. We looked at it from the very beginning. We're going to look at a very specific episode of this out of Matthew's gospel today. And so let's take a moment and let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have today to worship with those of like faith. Thank you that we can share in our victories and we can share also in our struggles. Thank you that we can stand together and also cry together. But we do, we do together, Lord, as the people of God. We ask a special blessing, Lord, upon the service today and that the message that you want your people to hear will be understood and that it will resonate within the soul and the spirit of each and every individual here today. We also ask a special blessing, Lord, upon our pastor and his family and all the leadership of the church here. The work they do is important and the message that we do in this community is very vital. And Lord, we ask that you will move us, Lord, as the people of God, to serve you, Lord, to the utmost of the Holy Spirit ability that's within us. Now touch this time, and may you be honored and glorified, and touch this very, very fragile vessel, and may it be used, Lord Jesus, for your good use. In the wonderful name of Jesus we pray, amen. We're going to begin out of Matthew, and I'm going to read the duration of this chapter at one time, understanding that this is going to take a little bit of time. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible, uh, and so uh, bear with me if you would. We're going to begin Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 23 in its entirety. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod, heard, when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. After gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them, saying, asking where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for, it is it, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, and by, are, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertaining from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went, they went their way. And lo, the star which had been seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over, the plate, over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came 
into the house and saw the child and Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to, to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And, there, and was there until the death of Herod, that what, the, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt did I call my son. Then, when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its environs from two years of age and under, according to the time which had been ascertained by the Magi. Then, which was spoken by, through Jeremiah, the prophet was fulfilled, saying, The voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream of, to Joseph in, in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and took the child and his mother, and he came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee and came and resided in a city called Nazareth. And what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Over the next 20 to 30 minutes, we're going to unpack a little bit of chapter 2 here. And we're going to look at a tremendous contrast and comparison between how Herod responded to this what was wound up being a disturbance in this time and how the Magi responded to the disturbance. But we're also going to look at the nation of Israel because there's a response that they have that is not much unlike our own today. Let's unpack this briefly. Let's first start with who is Herod. Herod has a very interesting history. Herod is a Jew. You have to remember that. He is not a Roman. He is a Jew. He was born Jewish. Raises Jew. But unlike his predecessors, Herod was appointed as king. He wasn't born a king, he was appointed. He actually developed his own kingdom, and actually, from the natural eye, one would have said he was a tremendous leader. He started really from nothing and amassed great, great influence, great wealth, and really quite a kingdom. But he lived with an iron fist. He lived with an iron fist. And when there was announced that there was this king that was born the king of the Jews, you can only imagine how this was a great disruption to him. It undermined him. He had been king. He was the ruler of his domain. And now another ruler was arriving, and he was ill-prepared for it. And then we look at the Magi. Who are these men? Who are these men? It's largely believed that these are the men that are the legacy of Daniel. That's right, Daniel from the Old Testament. 
Daniel had made a tremendous influence in the lives of believers. He had gone through his own travails, his own challenges, his own life and death experiences. But along that way, God had shown his strength and had moved in the life of Daniel. Daniel took many risks, but God vindicated Daniel. And to that end, Daniel left a legacy. And here were the Magi, the legacy of Daniel, arriving on the scene when the Messiah was to be born. That in its own nature, right there, is a message. And it's quite powerful. That's the legacy of a man hundreds of years earlier who had now was left for the arrival of the Messiah. Now the question comes in is, why were they disturbed? Well, it made sense why Herod was disturbed, but why was the nation of Israel disturbed? Why was all of Jerusalem disturbed? Why was that? Well, let's look at Herod. Early on, Herod, where does he go? Let's look at that briefly. In verse 3, And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Literally, the rendering there is, he was greatly disturbed. He was troubled, and so was, the, so was Jerusalem. And gathering together all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, I want you to understand something here. This is going to be the depiction of the cycle of sin. The cycle of sin. You see Herod there, and you see Herod is wanting to protect his rulership, his lordship, his place on the throne. And now would come the Messiah, a baby. But in that journey, he first approached the leadership, the religious leadership of that day. There was a moment in time right here at the very apex of this journey where the journey could have been stopped. But did it stop? No. No. He came to the leadership of the Jewish people, the scribes and the Pharisees. He could have been corrected. They could have said, hey, Herod, you are out of place, and we're going we're to refer now to the, to the nation of Rome, and we're going to have them intervene and stop this madness. But it did not happen. Instead, they all became nervous for their own positions. They all became nervous. Why? Because they had become comfortable in a religion of their society. And I want that to resonate for just a moment. They had become comfortable with their own religion, of their own society. You see, it's easy for us as believers to get comfortable with the way we do business as believers, with how we operate, with how we work, with how we think, with how we behave. In every aspect, it's easy to become creatures of habit. And now the Messiah was gonna come in and he was gonna turn everything upside down. He's gonna turn everything upside down. It's not surprising that when the disciples then, after they, were, after they had their Pentecost experience, that they went out and did what? Turn the world upside down. God has a way of doing that. And the Messiah's arrival was very much like it. So now let's explore deeper. This is why they were disturbed. And what I'd like you to do, if you're comfortable and if you have a pen or a pencil, you could take your bulletin, and this is the only image I want to leave you with today. It's with one very specific image. I'd like you to write the letter Y, but upside down. Write the letter Y, but I want you to write it upside down. 
And I want you to put at the top of that Y, I want you to put the word throne. And at the two bases, I'd like you to write the word Christ. And ultimately, it comes back to sin. Christ and sin. I'm going to unpack for you today briefly that the notion of sin is not just a concept, it is a force. It is a driving force that at times can, can steer people and uproot people and ultimately destroy people because that's the power of sin. Sin gives birth to what? To death because it breeds its own self. It's a living force. So there's the throne. We have Christ and we have sin as the competing factors. Let's look a little bit about how sin and the cycle of sin works. I mentioned first that Herod first considered it in verses 3 through 4. He began to consider what the ramifications were going to be. His kingdom, his rulership was now coming under attack. How was he going to respond? Was he going to respond? And the Jewish leaders would have said, look, this is the Messiah we've all been waiting for. He is the rightful heir. He is the king we've been all waiting for. But that's not how it unfolded. Herod became very disturbed and began then to start to dwell on how he was going to protect his self on the throne. So then the next phase comes in, and it's very subtle how Matthew writes this. Verse 7, then Herod did what? He secretly called the Magi. His first approach was he addressed the religious rulers of the day. He, oh, he, dealt, he dealt with them in open session. But now the next phase is he would secretly approach the Magi, and now the deception began to unfold. How might I know a little bit about, more about this king? Because now the heart was being hardened. A very good description of this in a or a parallel would be if you look at Pharaoh over in Egypt. Pharaoh in Egypt. I can't unpack that this morning. There's simply not enough time. But if you draw a comparison between King Herod and Pharaoh, you will see both Christ and Moses in comparison here. Matthew does an amazing job doing it. They're compared and they're contrasted. So here we see, we see Jesus, excuse me, here we see Herod, and he secretly called the Magi and ascertained for them when the star appeared, in verse 7. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Herod was a harsh man. Herod, through his lifetime, would have three of his own sons killed. He killed many who, who opposed him. As a matter of fact, we'll get to the end, but when Herod, even on his deathbed, he brings all of the potential heirs to his, to his area, and when, he's, when, he was to be, when he died, all of them were to be sentenced to death. That's how Herod operated. And it only grew harder and harder and harder as he continued to grow along. But again, here we see that now he began to, de to befriend sin. He began to entertain it. Sin always likes to operate in secrecy. It does not like to be lit up. It does not like to have things aired out. It always wants to go on in the dark places, in the places where other people aren't listening because it's deception, it's whisper. And now that I've gotten into the heart of Herod, the second aspect of it is, we find in verse 13. Now when they, 
and this is the Magi, had departed, behold, an angel Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. If you have a Bible with you or you have your scripture on app, this is an area that I personally always recommend people highlight. This was the tipping point. Now Herod had made the decision. The Magi who met with secretly, he was befriending sin, had now gotten to the point now where sin had manifested itself to where now he had handed himself over to that ruler. He was now in the hand of sin. Sin was calling the shots. Sin was making the way. And as a result, now he sought out to destroy this one, which would try to get him off of his throne. And he had no interest in it. Zero tolerance for it. Then, we move on to verse 16, and we see the, the final fulfillment of it. Then, when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became what? Very enraged. And he sent, and he slew all the male children who were born in in Bethlehem and all of its environs from ages two and, and under according to the time which had been ascertained from the Magi. This is something we don't talk about very often. We think about all the rejoicing, we think about all the magnificent of the arrival of the Messiah, but we don't understand. There was so much blood shed when the Messiah arrived. There was so much blood shed because the world was at war with itself. We want to be on the throne. We want to be in charge. How dare God step into my life? How, God tell, how dare God tell me that I need to change my ways or how I think or how I operate? How dare God do that? So as a result, when you read the historians, the guesstimate is thousands. Thousands, thousands of babies, two and under. We're talking children that are just maybe walking. Others that are just sitting up for the first time. All slaughtered. That breaks your heart. Breaks your heart. That was the battle that was going on in Herod. And that was the result of his rage. And that's what sin does once it gets a hold of us. Once it starts calling all the shots, God's not on the throne, something else is. Us, some other purpose, some other end, it's crushing. Well, let's look at the Magi for a second. I'm not gonna leave you on a downer. I'm not gonna leave you on a downer. Let's look at the Magi. Verses 1 through 2. I mentioned earlier, Magi had arrived from the east in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Again, this is the legacy of Daniel. These are Gentiles. These are individuals who were not raised in memorization of scripture, though they may have memorized much scripture but it was not part of their culture. They were going against the flow. And here they make the arduous task of traveling what's believed to be something that would have taken her from three, six, or more months, putting life at risk, their, their well-being at risk for sure, and their overall comfort. All that was put aside because they didn't have, you know, four-lane highways and cars. They had critters. 
and they had desert. And they slept in places that aren't very comfortable, right? That's where these men were. But they made sacrifice, and they took risks. Why? Because they were seekers. In verse 9 we see, and, and having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which had been seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Capital C, by the way, where the child was. So here are these men, and they're risk takers. They're seekers. They want something more. Self wasn't on the throne, I assure you, nor was sin. They wanted to meet this king of the Jews. They wanted to see the one who was going to change the world forever. They wanted to meet the Messiah. And during that journey, they would learn the issues of, they would experience joy, but they would learn the matters of trust and humility and generosity in verses 10 through 11. Look at those again. And when they saw the star, what did they do? They didn't start scheming. They didn't start saying, hey, how are we going to get this taken care of? This is, this is a disruption for all of us, and by no means is it convenient. How are we going to stop this train from getting out of the station? No. They rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. And then when they came to the house and saw the child, probably about two years of age, and that's why Herod made the decision to kill all those two and under. The child, and it's important to note that the scripture writes, the child with Mary, his mother. Normally within scripture, you would have seen Mary and the child. That's, of course, not the order. You have the ruler here. You have the ruler, the Lord. Amen. They saw the child with his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And this is what they did. They opened what? Their treasures. Their treasures. They opened their best. They opened what they had. They opened what they had travailed to bring across the miles of sand and difficulty and everything else. They had their own desert experience. And after having that desert experience, they brought what they had, which was their best. And they would offer it to a child. Here were men in their own right who were brilliant, great seekers, would have had, definitely had tremendous wealth, not just because what we read here, but historic would have been people of tremendous means. And they put all of it at risk because why? They wanted to see the one who's supposed to be on the throne. And they brought their best. And can you imagine this? I mean, you try to put yourself there thinking, here are these people, people of tremendous influence and tremendous, just made tremendous sacrifices and left it all and came and traveled and hoped to meet a child. And here's this two-year-old. I mean, Get a whole, here's those two-year-old, and they bow down, and they give those gifts. The sight that they must have seen, you, it's hard to get a hold of that. Now, why would they leave these gifts? Later on, as God would provide, God would take those gifts and provide for Joseph, Mary, and the Messiah, the Christ. And as, because they would have to keep on the run. Because there was still death knocking on the door. Something that wanted to snuff out the real ruler. The real ruler. 
So here we see these men, and they make all these sacrifices, ultimately comes to the final end, which is, he is the only one, Christ, who sits on the throne. And then we look in verse 12. And, and after giving these gifts and opening their treasures, what does God do for them? And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. In short here, this is, to me this is the most magnificent part of the entire passage. This is where God says, you took your risks. You put stuff on the line. You gave of your best. And now the supernatural breaks into their life. God breaks in. Like he did to Mary. Like he did to Joseph. And make no mistake, they had their own sacrifices, their own criticism, their own crosses to bear. Make no mistake. I'm not unpacking that today. I don't have that time. But they had their own crosses to bear. But here were the Magi. Because why? For those who are given much, what? Much is required. The Magi got it. They got it. Thank God for Daniel. Thank God for the legacy he left behind. Because they would arrive, and they would be the ones. Just let that resonate for a second. Daniel's legacy would be the He would send forth the provisions for the Messiah to survive the hatred of humanity. Let that resonate. His legacy would provide the provisions for the Messiah to survive the hatred of humanity. Because at the core, you and I, we want to be on the throne. Every now and again, it comes up. Why did Paul say what? Daily I have to what? Crucify the flesh. Because self rises up and self must diminish so that Christ can increase. And that's the battle we all face. What I share with you today, there's nothing new here. But it's the understanding that this battle is what we all face. We all face it. And it brings us humility. It brings us to the place of always understanding each day is a gift of God, no question about it. But the journey you and I make as believers, it is one of sacrifice. It always, will, it always is and always will be. But it's when we make the greatest sacrifices that God shows his strength the most profoundly. It was at that moment, at that moment, after they opened up their treasures, after they made that arduous task and that travel and took all those risks, that God broke in with the supernatural. And he met them in the dream and I can only imagine they must have walked away and they must have went away the happiest men. They met the Messiah. They got to experience the supernatural. And then God said, you know what? I'm taking care of you guys. You have provided, you have made a way, and you will bless generations to come because now my son has arrived and he will turn this world upside down. He will turn this world upside down. The journey always is and always will be about two rulers fighting for that one throne. And as I began the message today, if you think about it again, there is a God and you and I are not him.
we are not him. You can pray that in the morning and ask God to help remind you of that, and you can pray it at night and ask God to help remind you of that. It stirs up. It happens when people offend us. It happens when people disregard us. It happens when we don't have our own way. It happens when somehow we think there was something better that maybe we deserved. That's when self gets in the way. Now, that doesn't mean that we should be a doormat for humanity. I'm not communicating that here at all today. But I'm helping us all understand that God himself does not owe us anything. We owe him everything. Everything. And we're blessed people. You and I, we are blessed, blessed people. We sit here. We have clothes on our backs. We have resources. Many of us will eat more than one meal today. Many of us will. But most of the planet will not. Most of the planet will not. We're very, very blessed. And I just remind us all, we have to be mindful of not getting caught into a culture of Christianity or to a culture of any kind of religiosity. Be so mindful of that. That's the beginning of the dangers. That's the beginning of the cycle of sin. Is when we start allowing ourselves to become so lukewarm, God would either have us be cold or hot, but not there in the middle. And oftentimes we can begin to try to apply this in our lives in kind of crazy ways. I'm not here to talk about crazy stuff. I'm here to talk about the commitment of saying, God, you are God, and I will take the risks that you ask me to take, and I'll make the commitments that you ask me to make, and I will be obedient because I realize that obedience oftentimes is what you seek after more than anything else because obedience is never convenience. Ask a child that. Ask a teenager that. They'll tell you. It's not convenient. It's not. It wasn't when I was a teenager and I let my parents know about it. Right? That's what we do. Obedience is not convenient. But obedience is what gives God joy. And obedience is what keeps God on the throne and self, sin, and everything else out of the mix. So I'm going to ask musicians to come forward this time. And as they make their way forward, I'll conclude with the journey of Herod. And it's a very humbling one. Herod not only... The underlying themes here is the wise men, the magi came and they were the legacy of Daniel. But Herod also had a legacy. And that was his son, Archelaus. Archelaus. And when Archelaus took over as reigning after his father Herod, he made his father Herod look like an angel. It got so bad the Romans banished Archelaus from his rulership. He was so oppressive. He was so, hard, he was so hateful. Herod did his, did his job. Much bloodshed in Herod's world. Much bloodshed when the cycle of sin gets in full swing. But what it also does is it perpetuates a legacy. and perpetuates a legacy. Daniel had a legacy which led to the Messiah. And the provisions for that Messiah to break into our world and change the world and change our lives. Offer salvation to each and every one of us.
But when Herod left his legacy, it was one of continual bloodshed, thirst, and power. As we think about our own station in life, I had you make a diagram which was thrown on the top. Christ and sin. They will always be at war, friends. They will always be at war. And if you or I or anyone thinks somehow we're immune from that, we start to make the, the dangerous journey of self-deception. We are humans. We are all but flesh and bone but the breath of God has been breathed into us and it changes us and it changes us forever but the battle still rages so as you contemplate today and you think about how is this affecting my own life how is this affecting my own journey think about the wise men and I'll leave you with this the lessons that they got when they gave it and made sure that Christ was on the throne joy, trust, humility, generosity, actively seeking, wanting something more, and willing to take the risks to make sure that they were pleasing Almighty God. That's what it's about, friends. That's what it's about. That's what message. Join us anytime at PCAChurch.com and every Sunday at 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City.